Hey guys, it's Lauren Schmidt, Director of Ministry at Christ Centered Church, and you are listening to Christ Centered Cast. So there's an old saying, an old adage, you've probably heard it before, and that is, why buy the cow if you can get the milk for free? Some of you might be thinking, where's Pastor Sam going with this? Uh, I really want to know what he's going to say next about it, and really, that adage deals simply with, and I get this picture in my mind, of somebody going on to a farm and stealing milk from a cow rather than either going to the store to buy said milk or rather even buying said cow and taking it home and milking the cow. That's essentially in my mind what I think of, the idea that they, someone might be trying to get something that uh, they are not willing to make a commitment to. And this idea of trying to get the benefits of something, specifically uh, as it pertains in the adage, which I'm not going to go into here, uh, this idea of getting, trying to get the benefits of a relationship without committing to something is nothing new. We find, as we look at the scripture and as we see tonight, Jesus encountered this selfish mentality in the first century even. From the beginning, people have sought to get something from God without having to give anything for it or make any kind of commitment to Him in return. We'll see tonight, this is especially apparent in the passage. We've already seen that Jesus claimed to be the door and the Good Shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life, and the true vine. And tonight, we're going to see that He is going to refer to Himself as the bread of life. As we saw at the outset of the service, when we looked at those three verses and I read them from the opening scripture reading, there were a bunch of people that were seeking bread. And they wanted to get more bread. And they came to the Lord for it. Because after feeding 5,000 folks and walking on the water, Jesus had drawn quite a crowd. People had witnessed these miracles. They'd seen what Jesus could do. And they pursued him. They wanted more. They looked for him when he tried to get away from them. When they finally caught up with him, he confronted them about their self-focused intentions, the fact that they just wanted things from him without being willing to make a commitment to the Son of Man. We do it too. And it's in this that is opportunity, he takes the opportunity to compare himself to the very bread that they were seeking. To refer to himself as the bread of life. They even asked him for a bread that they could keep receiving or receive forever. And he said, yes, I am that bread. Tonight as we look at the actual scripture passage where we find him referring to himself as the bread of life, we're going to see Two key ingredients that make up the bread of life. Two uh, things that are components of this idea of Jesus being the bread of life and why that's significant. We'll see two key ingredients that make Jesus the bread of life for us. Let's look at the passage and then we'll look at those two ingredients. Beginning at verse 34 of John chapter 6, here are those people. They finally tracked Jesus down. And they say to him, Sir, I like they're respectful, Sir, before they make a demand of him, give us this bread always. 
We want that bread. We saw the miracles. We know what you can do. Keep it coming, big guy. Sir, we want this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 41, so of course the the Jews that were there, the Galilean Jews, it says that they grumbled. They didn't get what they were looking for. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down for, has come down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one has come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone who has seen the Father except he who is from heaven, he has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Let's take a minute. We're just going to pray very briefly for the passage that we just read and looked at. And that we would understand the words that the Jewish folks there that day were not seeming to grasp about who Jesus is and the fact that he is the bread. Father God, we look at this passage and we see a bunch of people who wanted something from Jesus superficially. They wanted what he had to give, but didn't actually really want him. Lord, I pray that not be said of us. That as we look at this passage tonight, we look at your word, that we would see the two very simple ingredients that go into making him the bread of life. And that we wouldn't get caught up in complacency that comes from hearing things that we've probably heard before. But that we would look at these words anew. And that we would be ready to make a commitment. To not seek to get things from Him. Apart from our relationship with Him. And it's in His name we pray tonight. Jesus our Lord and Savior. Amen. So two key ingredients for what makes Jesus the bread of life for us. Again, they are very simple things. You've heard them before. You've heard them from me. You've heard them other places. If you know the Lord Jesus, you had to hear these things, most likely, in order to come to him. But the first one that we see, the first key ingredient that makes Jesus the bread of heaven for us, the bread of life, rather, for us, is that he came down from heaven for us. He makes that clear in this first passage, the first chunk, verses 35 through 40. 
he describes himself as a bread that came from heaven. He's not a bread of earth, one that simply satisfies us physically, but we see that he is a bread that satisfies forever in verses 34 and 35. He says, I am a bread that if you take part in, you will never hunger and never thirst again. Again, you had a bunch of people here who were looking for something that would make them temporarily satisfied. That's why they, they thought that they needed more of it and they needed it to be an ongoing, continuous thing. Because they knew that even after eating the bread that he just made for a whole bunch of people, that eventually they would get hungry again. So they thought, we don't want this gravy train to dry up, so let's ask him for more and, and see if we can get him to keep it coming. And he, he tells them, he says, what you're looking for, that, that's not that's not me, that's not who I am. That's not what the bread of life is. True life, the bread of life, comes from me. And, and when you have this bread, it satisfies forever. You eat it and you're never hungry again, never thirsty again. You'll never long for anything again. See, when we eat food, it's essentially to return our bodies to a place of homeostasis where we're essentially comfortable for a brief spell, where we're not feeling those hunger pains anymore. We're not longing to have our empty stomachs filled. And Jesus said, once you eat of this bread, of the bread of life, that is me, you will never long for those things again. As I was thinking through that, what it means for him to be the bread that satisfies forever, I think about all the things that we as people chase as bread in life. Not the bread of life, but bread in life. Those things that, that we look for, seek after, strive for, whether it's money or relationships or power or recreation or whatever, there's so many different things that we that we seek after and pursue in life to fill some kind of a void. And Jesus says, I fill the void. And when you know me, there is no longer a void. Because I am the bread of life. I satisfy eternally, forever. He tells them this here, you'll never hunger, you'll never thirst. But he says, that, that's what, you don't realize that's what you need. He said, you've seen me and you do not yet believe. In verse 36, he tells us in this passage that he came down from heaven to be the bread of life that satisfies forever. He also came down from heaven to choose us and so that we could choose him. Now, this isn't the first time that we've heard words like this as it relates to Jesus using these word pictures, like the way, the truth, and the life, and the vine, and the gate, and the good shepherd, and all of those things. Because Jesus is very consistent with this imagery throughout the Gospel of John. It's because he was speaking to people that many just didn't get it, didn't understand. So he keeps saying these things. And man, sometimes that's us too, isn't it? We, we hear these things. And we've heard them over and over and over and over again over the course of our lives. And then it seems like sometimes when we're, we're looking at the Scriptures or hearing them, that we just go, ah, I get it now. You see what he means? I understand. And here we have a group of people that Jesus confronts them about this and says, you see me and you don't believe. And he tells them in verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. There he's speaking about this idea of being chosen by God. God gives Jesus those who choose uh, to those who choose him, and he chooses rather. It's both parts. It's both parts of the relationship. It's a, it's a God choosing and a people choosing. We see that in 37, all the Father gives me will come to me. God gives Jesus those who accept Christ as Savior. 
there's a theological word for that called election, and I would encourage you to do a study on that and try to formulate your understanding of Scripture and what that all means and how it all fits together. It says, All the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Man, that, that makes me think of when we looked at the gate or the door and when we're placed into the hand of God and how nothing can take us out of His hand. Once we know the Lord, we have that secure eternal relationship. He came from heaven to, to tell us and show us this. And he uses the framework of the bread of life to explain it, a bread that satisfies forever. That you eat once and you're never hungry and never thirsty again. That demonstrates this idea of God choosing us and giving us to the Savior, to his Son, to keep us. And that we then choose him in return. We see that he came down from heaven not only for those things, but also ultimately to do the will of the Father. He, he tells them this. He says, I'm not here for me. I'm here for you, but I'm ultimately here for the Father to do the will of God. For, verse 38, very clearly, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. There it is again. That eternal security, that idea, that concept. I love the repetition of Jesus here because he keeps making the point, driving the point home so that these people would understand that God loves them and he wants a relationship with him. That while, yes, there is this idea of national identity as far as God's chosen people, Israel, and the fact that he's made promises to them and there's the messianic promises that, that do take place, but I believe that he wants them also to understand that it's also personal. It's a relationship. It's a commitment. Because God is very much also a covenant God throughout the scriptures. And a covenant is that agreement between two parties with an understanding about how those parties are going to function. And he says, I want a relationship with you. He says, I've come down to do the will of the Father. And the will of the Father is to give people to Jesus and for Jesus to keep them, to have that relationship. And he tells them what that leads to in the next two verses. Or excuse me, in verse 39 and 40, what we just read. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Reference to the resurrection. And this ties in with what we looked at back at Easter, the resurrection and the life. And how once you accept Jesus Christ as Savior and you have that committed relationship and you know him and he knows you and God gives you to him and he keeps you, that you can look forward to a resurrection one day. So that no matter what you're dealing with or going through in life, you can have hope and a promise that one day you will be with the Father in heaven. You'll be raised up. Verse 40, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus shares with him, he says, you know, look guys, I didn't come to just keep giving you bread and, and performing miracles and just doing things that, that make you happy. I didn't just come to heal the sick or to, to give sight to the blind or the free the captive. Yes, those are all things that I did come to do, but there's so much more to it than that. I didn't just come to do tricks and perform. 
and to meet some kind of ideal that you all have for me. I came to do the will of the Father. And the will of the Father is to save those who believe, who see and believe. And that's really what it is for us, too. When we come to the Word of God, it's about seeing who Jesus Christ is and believing in what He did. And not looking to try to get what we can out of Him. Because it's very easy for us as people, as needy people, who who want things, who desire things, who have goals and dreams and visions and those kinds of things, longings, drives, to treat God like that too. To look at what we can try to get from Him. And then when life gets difficult and we, we don't get what we thought we deserved somehow, what we thought we had coming to us because we signed on the dotted line like it was some kind of spiritual contract, we get discouraged and disillusioned and, and many walk away. They give up, they quit in their relationship with the Lord because things didn't go the way they were expecting. Because they wanted what they could get but didn't want to make a commitment through all the difficult things, through all the tough times. They forgot that the Lord holds us fast and goes through all that stuff with us. And they missed out on the blessings on the other side of it, of coming through those things with the Savior. They just wanted the bread. They didn't want to make the commitment. Jesus came down from heaven for us, and I don't know what it is that you might be struggling with tonight. And if you're not struggling with anything tonight, give it a couple days. Because that's life, right? But we need to be reminded, for those of us who've known the Lord for a while, that he came down to do more than just give us the title of Christian. To do more than make us just not swear. Or not do things that we shouldn't do. Or do things that we should. That he came down to fulfill the will of God in our lives. In us and through us. That he chose us. And he's calling us to choose him in commitment. Looking forward one day to a resurrection. That we can count on. Resurrection and life beyond this one. He tells them that here in this first passage. And we read this and, and we could, you know, think, hey, well, that's great. Okay, all right, I can get on board with that. That's, and we try to try to imagine ourselves in that situation. And we go, yeah, we would think, yeah, if I heard Jesus there saying all of this stuff, we'd go, yeah, okay, all right, yeah, that's right. Thanks for the reminder. And be like, you know what, I'm ready to recommit right here. We, however, don't see that with God's people, with the Galilean Jews here. In fact, their response is to grumble and complain. And there's so much interesting imagery in the next part of this passage, which ties in with the Old Testament. And it's funny, because I can just imagine Jesus, God in the flesh, going, people just don't change. Because this is, I mean, you have to remember, Jesus as the second person of the Trinity was there during the wilderness wanderings in the Old Testament when God was feeding people with the manna from heaven and they were fleeing Egypt and they were trying to find the promised land. 
Jesus was there for all of that as the second person of the Trinity. And here he is again now in the flesh, dealing with people in the flesh. And it's in this passage that we see the, the second ingredient of the two. The first was that he came down from heaven for us. That makes him the bread of life for us. The second is this. Again, very simply, that he does give us eternal life. He does give us eternal life. Because even in his calls to us to commit to him, and the fact that he is not some kind of cosmic theological genie, even in the midst of all of that, he loves us so much that he still gives. As much as we take, and we take for granted, and we don't give in return. And we, we have this mentality of why buy the Savior when I can get the bread for free? He still gives because he loves. Their response in verse 41, which probably would be ours too if we're being honest, if we were there, was that they grumbled about him and they said, what is this guy talking about? How in the world can he claim to be the bread that comes down from heaven? How does that make any sense? We know his folks. You know, it's, it's kind of, it seems like one of those kind of small town things too. Where it's like no matter where you live and you try to live right, but people still talk, they still say things. And they're like, ah, that's just Joseph and Mary's kid. Well, how does he think he's special? We know him. Or at least we think we do. We know his family. We know where he comes from. We know where they shop and get groceries and all that. How can he claim to be deity, to come down from heaven? And Jesus doesn't even get into all of that because he's Jesus and he's awesome that way. He just sticks to what he's trying to communicate to them and trying to help them understand. He says, look, don't grumble amongst yourselves about this. You guys are missing the point. You're getting distracted. How many times does that happen in life when we're trying to communicate with someone about something and they just want to go this way and that way? And it's like, no, we really have to have this discussion about this particular topic. And Jesus sticks to that. He says, don't grumble about yourselves. And it comes back to this idea of this relationship that comes between us and God through him. And we see that it's in that that he gives us eternal life. He gives us eternal life through the incarnation. He is God in the flesh. He had to come down from heaven in order to die in the flesh to save us. Because he had to be the perfect spotless lamb. He was the shepherd as well as the sacrifice and the offering. He was that for us, for our sin. God in the flesh. And it's only by believing in that that we have eternal life. Believing that he is the sacrifice for us. And he wants them to understand this, that he had to come down from heaven, that he could be God in the flesh, because he had to be, in order for us to have eternal life. And then after that, he moves into this idea of, rather, he comes back to this idea of God calling people into himself and people responding. He says, don't grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. See, it ties back in with that last passage. There it is, that theme again. Jesus in repetition, so that people get it. So we see not only here that, that God chooses us, but also in salvation. There's so much good salvation theology that if you really dig into it, you can get a greater understanding of, of how Jesus saves people and how God 
calls people. Because he says here, not only is it a situation where God chooses people, but he also draws them. Look at that. He uses the word, the phrase there. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. When you came to Christ, did you sense that there was something spiritual pulling you toward God? I, I did. I'll say that. As I was, even as a little boy, was trying to go to sleep that night when I accepted the Lord, Jesus Christ as my Savior. I couldn't sleep, and I knew that I needed to do something with what I'd heard earlier in the day at Vacation Bible School about this God who came, Jesus, who was God in the flesh, to seek and to save the lost. And after hearing what it meant to be lost, I was like, yeah, that, that's me. And I sensed that God was calling me, drawing me spiritually, pulling on me to respond to him. And that's just it. When God calls us, there is this inescapable draw. And, you know, maybe for some people it's it feels stronger than others, but it's still, you know within yourself you can't get away from it unless you make a decision. Well, see, that's how God works with salvation. He calls us and he draws us. Yes, we still have to make a choice. And I believe that, 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 that he does that. He calls people to himself and draws them to himself. And they make a choice. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And then again, he comes back to raising them up on the last day because he's making this correlation between salvation and resurrection. Because these are inescapable themes. And would be, notably, Strange themes for the Jewish listeners. Because resur resurrection is not a prominent theology up to that point for them. So he calls them to realize that God draws them to himself. And again, he tells them how to respond. See, there's so much repetition here, I love it. But that's we can't miss this. He says, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him, and I'll raise him up on the last day. And he says, it is written in the prophets. He says, hey, you guys know this. You guys know where it talks about in Isaiah that all will be taught by God. And everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So he said, this idea of God drawing you to him is not new. It's just new for you and that he's drawing you through me. But again, you've heard this. In fact, he referenced that earlier in the first passage when he said, you've seen me and yet you, you, don't, you didn't believe. Even if they sensed God, they didn't believe. As you've heard it before, all the, the, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who's heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. Again, referencing himself. He has seen the Father. So we see that he gives us eternal life through the incarnation, through the coming down from heaven as the bread that came down from heaven. And that through that, then, God draws people to himself, to salvation, to eternal life. And then there is this, this response that has to take place. We, we saw seeing and believing in the first passage, and now he talks about hearing and responding through the Spirit working in us to call us or draw us to God. Maybe you've never sensed him drawing you before. Maybe he's doing that tonight. Hear and respond. And then the last part of this passage, where he talks about giving us eternal life as the bread of life, there's a call to commitment, a commitment to the living bread, because he comes back to this idea of bread. 
He kind of got away from it for a brief minute there in the passage. But Jesus being the master teacher that he is, and this, this being one of his sermons, he comes back to this idea of bread again. Ties it all up real nice. Fantastic. So he says this, Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. Rather, looking back, verse 47, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. So he calls them to look back again to those stories from uh, from their, the Jewish schools that they went to, the training that they received. And he says, hey, remember those, those Sunday school, and no, it wasn't Sunday then, remember the Saturday school stories that you guys heard, you know, with the, the felt boards and the stick, and all the different tacks and things? And he says, you remember that one about your forefathers wandering in the, in the wilderness, and they didn't have, uh, their shoes didn't wear out, and they didn't have food, but God gave them manna from heaven and didn't know what it was like, but, you know, you hope it was totina pizza rolls or something like that. Uh, but you didn't, it, it just was manna. He says, remember, they were prov- it was provided for them. It was a bread, but the stipulation on it was that it didn't last. You only got what you needed for that day. And remember, God even said, you'll be in trouble if you try to collect more than you needed for that day. Because it was a, a bread that, that essentially spoiled very quickly, quicker than it does in Florida even. That's where I grew up, and, and it's, stuff goes bad real quick there. It's Florida. So he, um, he says, I'm a bread that lasts, though. One that doesn't spoil. I'm the living bread. I came down from heaven so that you may eat of it and not die. In verse 50. Verse 51, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. He says it again. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. That's undoubtedly really thrilling. Because they weren't ready for that connection. That allusion to the cross. It was to come. It hadn't happened yet. All right, whoa. That's strange. Is he t- he's talking about eating his flesh. I don't understand. And he's just drawing this word picture of this idea of uh, the event of the cross that was to come and that it would require a faith in what he did for us on the cross in order to partake in the bread of life that is Jesus Christ. Now, he was calling them to look forward to this. And from a future standpoint, obviously, we look back. But he called them to believe that he was the bread of life that was sent down from heaven to satisfy eternally, that was the catalyst for the salvation of of their souls and the resurrection that was to come, and that the requirement in order to take part in that relationship was a commitment to belief and faith in his flesh, essentially, something happening with his flesh, the, the Lord sending, or God sending, Jesus Christ to die in the flesh for our sins. Again, there's a lot of salvation theology in these few short verses here. But it leads us to eternal life. It's a call to commitment to the living bread. And you see that here first, in the first passage, where he, he, he talks about, uh, us being raised up through seeing and believing. And then us essentially being raised up through hearing and responding. That ultimately leads to a commitment to the living bread. As you look at your relationship with Jesus Christ tonight, if you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you you confess your sin to him, you acknowledge your need for him in your life, you want to have a relationship with him that extends beyond simply what you think he can give you, it's time to to look at all of that and ask, how have I been living? Have I been living in such a way that 
I'm living out a commitment to my Savior? Or am I just trying to maintain something so that I can keep getting whatever blessings that I think that I'm receiving? As we look at these two key ingredients, the fact that he's the bread of life for us because he came down from heaven and because he gives us eternal life, we have to do something with that. What we are to do with the two key ingredients that make Jesus the bread for uh, bread of life for us is this. First, we must see and believe that Jesus is the bread of life. That he satisfies more than anything else that we could seek after or pursue in life. That he satisfies forever. We then have to believe that he came down from heaven to die for our sin. You have to believe that his flesh was the sacrifice for the world. When he says that I give I, I give my life to the world, or the sacrifice, the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. When he says that, we have to understand that that's the cross. And that he died for our sin. We have to choose him like the Father has chosen us. Like he's chosen me and he's chosen you and those of us that know Jesus Christ as our Savior, God chose us. And we at some point chose him in return. But maybe you're out there and you haven't chosen the Father. Maybe maybe you haven't sensed him calling you, but tonight you are. And I want to encourage you when we have a closing song tonight or at some point to take care of this soon. Recognize that God is calling you to himself and answer that call. See and believe. And then after that, once we, once we see and believe, and we know it to be true, we make a commitment. We must then make or renew our commitment to him. Because maybe you made a commitment to him a very long time ago. Maybe you've known him for quite some time. But your relationship is kind of transitioned toward just kind of hanging in there with him. And just hoping that you'll continue to get the blessings, but without any effort on your part. We have to stop expecting the best from Jesus while neglecting our commitment to him. Because that's what we do. We look at the miracles that he performs in our lives, in our families, in our churches, in those places. The miracles that we take for granted each and every day and we just expect him to do while we sit there apathetic or self-focused, and we just want what he has to give us without any kind of commitment in return. I want to encourage you to pray and give yourself to Christ tonight, or give yourself to Christ again. Even if you know the Lord, it's time to confess any apathy or disregard you've had for him, and say, you know what, I'm not in this relationship, Lord, just to get what I can from you. I want to love you, I want to serve you, I want to live for you. Stop trying to get the bread for free. Father God, thank you so much for this passage and for showing us that you are the bread of life. And what that means and how much you do satisfy us. Lord, I do pray for anyone here who's listening, who has never answered your call in their life, who has never come to you, Lord, that they would do so tonight. That they would respond to your word and respond to you. And that in prayer tonight, they would call out to you, Lord, and they would give their life to you. 
God, thank you so much for being the bread of life for us, for coming down from heaven and giving us eternal life. It's in your son, Lord, we pray tonight. Amen. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week.